We have been looking these uh, Sunday mornings at this great letter to the Ephesian believers and to the believers in Asia Minor. We've been looking at it these last few weeks that Paul is writing uh, from a place of imprisonment and chains. And um, I want to read to you the passage that we're going to look at this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 11 and reading through to verse 22. Let's read it together. Um, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. pray that God will speak to us today through his word. Uh, If you ever watch a series on television, uh, you always get at the start, don't you? You always get the previously. Previously in this series, this is what's happened. And as we come in here at this passage and read the word therefore, we have to look back at what we've previously looked at. And uh, we remember that Paul started this letter by praising God and by thanking God for everything that he had done. And he said, blessed be the Lord, our Lord, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And Paul goes off into this really long, flowing Greek sentence that just expresses his praise and glory to God and counts his blessings and counts the blessings of the Ephesian believers and everything that God has done for them and in their lives. And he lists the many things that God has done for us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He's predestined us. He has sealed us with his spirit. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will. And Paul expresses all of these things and he intersperses these words of praise with uh, the expression, and all of this is to the praise of his glory. God has done things in our lives for the praise of his glory. And then he goes on from that and he, from his place of praise and his doxology and his opening hymn, Uh, he goes on to start to pray for these 
believers. And he says, I, I never stop praying for you. And I always give thanks when I remember you because I've, I've heard of your love and I've heard of your faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And these reports have come back to me. And, and then Paul says, but I pray for you and I pray that you'll know God better. And I pray that will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. And we, we thought about the fact that that Paul uh, expressed that, that knowing God was the absolute, uh, the absolute best thing that had happened to him. And he, he compared everything else, everything else as dung, he said. It's just, it's just rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of what it is to know Christ. And also, of course, of course Paul prayed, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And then Paul prayed for three things for these believers as he wrote to them. He said, I, I pray that you will know the hope of his calling that is on your life, the hope to which he has called you. And, and all of these truths that he was expressing in his hymn of praise, I pray that you'll know that hope in your own lives. And I pray that you'll know the glorious riches of his inheritance, which is in the saints. I pray that you'll realize that what you've been sealed with the Spirit of God for in all of eternity is an amazing thing. And I, I pray that you will see and know in your inner heart, in, in the, with the eyes of your heart, at a level of revelation that you've not had before, a grasping and understanding and an experiencing. I pray that you'll know the glorious riches of his inheritance for you, what is coming down the line for you, and what has already been inaugurated for you through the death of Jesus Christ. And he says, thirdly, I pray for you that you'll know the power uh, the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And then he said, that power is like that which was exercised in Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. And he said, you've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So that was Paul's praise, and then it was his prayer. And then he, he carried on, and he said, just as Christ was dead and was raised up by God's power, so you too were dead. And this is what we looked at last week. And you too were dead in your sin and in your trespasses, but, but God <laughs> raised you up with Christ. His power not only raised Christ, but his power raised you up also. We talked about the incomparably great power that raised Christ and his incomparably great riches of his grace, which raised us with Christ and seated us in heavenly places as we identify with him through faith. And so Paul said last week as we looked at it, the before and after, the good news, the bad news and the good news, if you remember. And the bad news was that we're dead in our sins. We, we are enslaved through the ways of this world and the flesh, the sinful nature and the work of Satan, the, uh, the, king, the uh, prince of the kingdom of this air is at work in the sons of disobedience. And through these three enemies, we are enslaved, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But, uh, so we're dead, we're enslaved, and we're condemned. We are all by nature children of wrath and, and facing an alienation from God. And, but God, but God, we remembered those words last week, that pivotal moment as Paul writes, the bad news is really bad, and we need to hear the bad news and if we're really going to understand the good news, which is the gospel that we preach. And so then Paul goes on to say, but, but God, but God has forgiven you. God has redeemed you. God has raised you up. And God has given you new life in Christ Jesus. And we ended up in that place of, of hope. 
And so then Paul goes on, and, and in the passage that we're looking at today, there is another before and after comparison. Uh, and, and the pivotal moment in these verses is not but God, but it's but now. And, it, and what Paul starts to say then is, he says, formally, this is what you were formally, this is what you were before, but, but now, this is what you are now, this is the difference that God has made in your life. And there's this pivotal moment of change and transformation that Paul highlights that is true for everyone that comes to Jesus Christ and accepts him as their saviour and Lord. Yesterday we had the Sharper Men's Conference, which was an online conference, and uh, the, the, the speaker, I did a little 10-minute slot, but the speaker after me who did the final keynote speech, she was called uh, Gasky. Paul Gask, Paul Gask. I, I think really to do men's ministry, you've got, you've got to have a name that could have a Y put on the end of it. So Paul Gask, if you're going to talk to men, you become Gasky, innit? It's Gasky. And uh, so Paul Wright could be Wrighty, and, um, but, which is why I never do men's ministry, because Lee, 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 yeah, it, it just, or Jeffy, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have quite the same ring, does it? So, so Gasky was, uh, was speaking after me yesterday, and Gasky was a former police officer in, uh, for 30-odd years, and he was talking about before and after. He was talking about the before of his life and uh, suicidal thoughts in his uh, mind and his desperation as a, as a police officer dealing with, with all kinds of the, 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 the worst in society, but the broken in society. And he said a lot of men that he came across that were just struggling with mental health or with uh, addictions or with messed up lives. And he said, I was that guy too. I was the police officer, but I was that guy too. And I, I thought the only way out really was to, was to end it all. That's how hopeless I was. That's how hopeless I felt. And then he went on to say, but now, but now what, what God has done in my life, what God has transformed in my heart, what God has changed in me, has turned my life upside down, has changed my life all around. And there's this comparison before and after. And, and, and that can happen for any one of us. And what Paul starts here by, by saying is, he says, remember. He, as he writes to these Christians, these believers, he says, remember. Now, sometimes the Bible tells us to forget. Forget the former things. Forget those things which were. And move on and move on to something new. You know, put those things uh, behind. And, and sometimes God says, I've forgotten. I, I've forgotten your sins. I've forgotten your past. But, but Paul says here, remember. Remember what you were formerly. And he's speaking particularly to, to a group of people here called the Gentiles, which were the non-Jews. Uh, and, and he said five things about you Gentiles that you were formerly. And uh, the, they're all here in the passage. And he said, he said, first of all, you Gentiles who were by birth, and you were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. There's a bit of name calling here. This, these weren't positive terms but you were called the uncircumcised by those who were in the in-group, the, Jew, the Jews, and those that called themselves the circumcision, that had this sign of a kind of a relationship with God. You were the outsiders. And he said this, he said, remember that at that time, and five things that, that marked their life at that time, and that mark many people's lives today, you were separate from Christ, verse 12. 
You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. So, so they weren't citizens. They had no citizens' rights. They had no rights of, of the people of God, the people of Israel. You were, you were foreigners. The third thing, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So the promises have been made by God to the people of Israel. God had drawn out a people, an elect people, so that through this people he could bless the whole world. And that people was the people of Israel. And, and God made agreements with them that he called covenants. And a covenant mixes together law and relationship. Brings those two things together and it solidifies and seals the deal of a promise of God. And so he made a covenant or a, an agreement, a relational agreement with Abraham. And he made a covenant, a relational agreement with David and, and through Jeremiah and promised a new covenant, a new agreement with his people. And, and what Paul says is you were on the outside of that. You had no rights to those covenantal agreements of blessings. And you were on the outside of all of that. So you were separate from Christ and and you were excluded from citizenship, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And then he says, uh, to seal the deal, if they weren't feeling bad enough already, he says, you were without hope, and you were without God in the world. You were without hope and without God. There was no hope for you, and you had no rights, you had no access to God. And he said, you were without hope, and you were without God. The Greek is atheos, atheist, atheist without God, far from God, separate from Christ. And this was their lot, this was their situation, this was their circumstance. And Paul says, I want you to remember that. Now some of us, maybe we were raised in a Christian home, and thank God for that. Thank God for Christian parents who took us to church, and and Christian parents here, you have a great responsibility and a great honor to bring your kids to church. And, uh, and uh, surveys show that often Christian parents are the glass ceiling for their kids. The onus is on us parents to make sure that we, we bring our kids up in the house of God. That we are here regularly, that we make sure our kids are, are bathed in this atmosphere of God's presence. And even in the tough years when, when the kids are young and it's, it's difficult bringing them at times to church. Many of us perhaps grew up like that, and I know I did, and my crossing of that line of faith, even though I do remember it, was perhaps not as dramatic as some, but it, it still was a passing from darkness to light. It was still a moment of crossing the line of faith and putting my trust in Jesus Christ. It still led to me being baptized at the age of 11 and saying, even though perhaps I didn't fully understand the scope of what I was saying, that I want to follow Jesus and I want to be a Christian, and I want to identify myself with Christ. But there are others of us, many of us, who've had that dramatic transformation. We've seen it in each other's lives, a crossing of the line of faith. And uh, I was talking just this last week about somebody in this church, and, and somebody was saying, you should see the difference in their life. You should see what they were like before and what they're like now. It is night and day. And, and their, their wife can see it, their family can see it. They have changed so much from what they were to what they are now. And, and Paul says, remember this. Remember and reflect on the difference that Christ has made in your life. And be grateful for it, because it is a dramatic change. But then Paul comes to the point where he pivots, and he says in verse 13, But now, but now in Christ Jesus... 
you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And uh, he says it also uh, in verse 16, that, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, through the blood of Christ and through the cross, people who were once far away from Jesus Christ have been brought near. This is our road map. This is our way of access. This is how we can come near to God. This passage speaks of alienation and separation and distance from God. We watched a film this last week um, with Tom Hanks in it. Anything with Tom Hanks in it is good for me. I love Tom Hanks. I think he's a great actor. And we watched this film. It was a Western called News of the World. <laughs> Some of you may have seen it. But um, basically, Tom Hanks is, is a displaced man. He's been in, in, the, in a civil war. He's been fighting. And uh, the war is over. And now he travels around the States reading the news for people who can't read. And he brings all the newspapers, he reads the news of the world, and he makes a show of it. But Tom Hanks is lost, and he's looking for home. And he finds this little orphan girl who is also tw twice orphaned, lost her parents, and then lost her adoptive parents, and she's lost also. And the story of the film, really, and I think what resonates so strongly with people is the search for home, the search to find a way home. And even when Tom Hanks went to what was home, it wasn't home anymore, because his wife had died and his life had moved on and his livelihood was gone. But the, the, the essence of the film is the story of people looking for a way back home. I've told the story here before of a, of a little girl who who got lost and uh, is told by Anne Lamott in one of her books and her finding her way back home and how this little girl was lost in the streets around her church and a police officer drove up and picked her up and realized that she was lost and she said, if you, if you take me to my church, I can find my way back home from there. And we are all looking for home. And what, what Paul writes here is, that we found our way back home and the way to find our way back to a relationship with God and back from a place of alienation and back from a place of separation and back from a place of being distant from God is through the blood of Christ, through the cross of Christ. It is through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross that we can come. He bridges the gap between us and God. If last week we heard that we were by nature we were objects of wrath. We were separated from God because of our wrongdoing. That Jesus bridged that gap and made available a way back to God. And uh, the, the word that Paul uses three times here is peace. He says um, in verse 14, He himself is our peace who has made the two one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. There's the word again. He himself is our peace. He abolished this dividing wall to make peace and to reconcile both of them to God. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. It's this uh, ending of hostility 
And, and the image that Paul writes here is of a, of a dividing wall. He said you were, you were Jews and you were Gentiles, and there was a dividing wall of hostility between you, and Christ came and destroyed that. He abolished it in his flesh. Now, various people have said, well, what was that dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles? And, and some people have pointed to a physical wall that was at the temple in those days, a, a wall about a meter and a half high that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews in the temple courts, and the Gentiles were not allowed past that wall. And architects, um, not architects, um, what's the word? Archaeologists, thank you, have, um, have found stones that uh, have inscriptions on them that basically say if you cross this line, you will die. Um, you will cross this line on fear of death. And so there was, there was a physical dividing line, and only the Jews could go into the temple, and only uh, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And so there was a dividing wall, uh, and some people have said that, that Paul is speaking of that wall, but he's not actually. He's speaking here of the dividing wall of the law, and, and it says here, he, he himself is our peace, who's made the two one, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, he's destroyed the barrier, he's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new manner of the two, thus making peace. So the, the law divided them, and the regulations of the law, and, and Paul says, you know, you, 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 some of you were calling yourself the circumcised. You, you'd followed the regulations of the law, the ceremonial law, and, and you'd circumcised yourself as a sign of your, the covenant relationship with God, and the others, you were uncircumcised. And, and the Jews, they had to follow various laws and various regulations. The Gentiles didn't and couldn't and were outside of that. And there was this, this wall that divided them. And Jesus, it says here, abolished that wall, the requirements of the law. He abolished it in his flesh as he died on the cross and created a new way for the two to become one. And the whole of the Ephesian letter really is about this coming together under Christ of different nations as one man. It's the same message of Galatians 3.28 where it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's this unifying work of Jesus on the cross. When I uh, studied German and French, I had to go live in Germany for a year, which I did in the late 80s, early 90s, and I did it just as the Berlin Wall was coming down. This wall that divided east and west, uh, that divided families, that divided uh, the East Germans from the West Germans from, from one day to the next as it was erected. And I remember, I remember being there, I remember the wall coming down, I remember the euphoria of a nation that was once divided, that was now reconciled. Remember the reunification of Germany, of East and West, as the peoples came together. And of course, uh, when, when we went to Belfast and uh, to Northern Ireland and saw the dividing wall that divides societies and that divides uh, different groups and different religions and different people, uh, 
this dividing wall, and there was this great big dividing wall that kept us out, that kept people out, that kept people away from God. And Jesus came and he smashed that wall down. He destroyed it. He removed it. He abolished it as he took the requirements of the law and he nailed them to the cross. And he made the two one. He made us at peace. And the peace that Christ preached was two ways. It was between people, but it was between us and God as well. And we might not identify so much with Jews and Gentiles and ceremonial laws and temple courts, and it's not really our, our bag, is it? It's not really our situation. But there's plenty of dividing walls today between peoples and ethnicities and colors and backgrounds. There's plenty of uh, different groupings of, uh, who find hostility one against the other. But Jesus came to break down those dividing walls, which is the miracle of the church, which is the miracle of a people of God who black and white, male and female, rich and poor, well-educated and uneducated, from different backgrounds and different countries, different nations. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all made one. We are all brought near. And that dividing wall of hostility is gone, which is why John Stott writes, it is such an anathema for the people of God to be at war with one another. It is such an anathema for disunity in the church because Christ died for the unity of the church. Christ died that we who were separate might become one in Christ, that we might become one unified in him and through him and under him. And he is the head and we are his body. And so Christ died to become our peace, to preach peace to us, to make peace where there was hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments. His purpose was to create in himself one new manner of the two, thus making peace. And this, in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away. And he preached peace to those who were near those who were far away, the Gentiles, those who were near, the Jews. He preached peace to you both, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so Paul goes on to say, as he uh, wraps up this section, he then gives three images of what the body of Christ is, of what we have come to, and uh, three pictures, if you like. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are no longer an alien. You have citizenship. If you are a Christian, you have citizenship in God's kingdom. Now, I'm British. My wife is American. And so when we go to America, which we used to more than we do these days, uh, we had to go into separate queues. She has a blue passport, American citizen. I had a cherry red passport. I guess I'll get a British one at some point following Brexit, but I had a cherry red passport. So I went in the other queue. And whenever we got into America, there was the American citizen queue and there was the aliens queue. (laughs) Aliens, they're so unfriendly, those Americans. Calling us aliens. And... um, 
Of course, the alien queue was quite long, about 500 of us, and there were two unfriendly American non-smiling uh, officials, and, and God help you if you made a joke or, or laughed or tried to <laughs> break the ice with these American officials. But the American side, they had about 500 officials, and they were all high-fiving each other, welcome home, come on in, and flash their blue passports. So this would always be a standing joke with me and Jenny. She'd just waltz into America, and, and me and the kids, we would be there <laughs> a bit longer trying to get through the alien queue. <laughs> of course, it was different when we came back to Britain, and uh, it was the other way around. But it's a pain in the neck, I tell you. But he says, you're no longer, you're no longer foreigners. Foreigners to the covenant. You're no longer outsiders. You're no longer aliens. I, I, Sting said, I'm, a, I'm an alien. I'm a, le- I'm a legal alien. <laughs> I'm an Englishman in New York. You're no longer that. You are citizens in God's kingdom. You have citizens' rights. If all the rights of the kingdom of God are made available to you. But he's, he goes on to say then, he said, not just that. He said, you Gentiles... Not not only are you now fellow citizens with God's people, but you are members of God's household. You're family now. You're part of the family. You're part of God's family. We've said here before, you know, that there are people who visit our church and, and, uh, and they are very welcome. You are very welcome if you're visiting, if you're watching online. Um, there's no expectations on visitors. You just come and you can sit and you can partake and listen and enjoy. Um, there's no expectations. But family is different. There are expectations on family. And uh, in our family, if we have guests, you know, we don't expect them to wash up. We don't expect them to lay the table. We don't expect them to cook the food. Uh, we do that if you're, if you're our guest. But if you're family, then we expect you to help. We expect you to roll your sleeves up. We expect you to help with the washing up. We expect you to contribute. And I remember as a teenager when I was being perhaps a slightly lazy, unhelpful teenager, I remember my mum taking a notice and nailing it to my bedroom door saying, this is not a hotel. You are expected to contribute. And, uh, and we are because we are, we are family. And, um, you know, we... We are members of the family of God. And he has called us to something. We are, we are sons and daughters. Paul said in chapter 1, we've been adopted into God's family. And that brings with it all kinds of rights, all kinds of privileges, and all kinds of expectations. And uh, if you're part of this church family, if you're a member of this family, and if you've if you've signed our membership pledge and you've accepted some of the responsibilities of family, I will protect the unity of my church. I will share the responsibility of my church. I will serve in the ministry of my church. I will support and lift up the testimony of my church. We are members of God's family. And then the third uh, picture that Paul paints here is of a building. So he says, you're, you're citizens now. You're not aliens. You're not foreigners. You are citizens. He said, you are your family. You're members of God's household. 
And also now you are, you are built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a third picture that Paul paints is of a building, of a temple. Now this was Ephesus, was one of the places he's writing to. They had big temples. He had the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. Of course, he had the great big temple in Jerusalem. But he said, you're, you're now the temple of God. And you are living stones. And you, as God's people, you're being built together as a place where God dwells by his spirit. And the chief cornerstone of all of that is Jesus. Jesus is the one that holds it all together. Jesus is the, is the one on which we build. And we build on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. The teachings of scripture are our foundations. So we build well and we build on that. And we have Christ as our cornerstone. But we all are living stones. And we are built together as a place where God dwells. There's no such thing as lone Christianity of going it on our own. We need one another because this is where God dwells. He doesn't dwell in a physical building, but he dwells in the building of his people, in the temple of his people. So whether we're online or whether we're here or whether we've gone through this last year where we've been highly constrained in what we can do and where we can meet and how we can meet and what we can do, in all of that, we are still God's temple. We are still living stones. We are still being built together as a place where God lives by his spirit. And even Paul's word at the start of this service that God wants to rebuild and build stronger this temple, this place where his spirit can dwell. He wants to start with the altar of our hearts. He wants to build us together. And it's the same message that Peter shares in his letter. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that's us. We were, if we are Christians today, Paul says, remember, don't forget, remember what you once were. Remember that you were foreigners, aliens, outside of the promise and the covenants of God. You were without hope. You were without God, atheos. But now, but now, you have been brought near. But now, through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, you have been brought near. He has preached Christ to you and offered peace to you and brought the two peoples, made them one and brought you into a relationship with God. And if you are not a Christian this morning, you can come near, you can come home into a relationship with God. The way has been made open for everyone. There's no dividing line anymore. Christ has abolished that on the cross. There is a way in for every one of us to become not aliens, not foreigners, but citizens in God's kingdom. To become not outsiders, but insiders. To become members of God's family. And to be part of this temple that he's building, living stones for a place where God dwells. 
I wonder if there are those listening today that have never crossed that line of faith, but you would like to, perhaps like the testimony we heard yesterday at the men's conference, living in a dark place, living in a distant place, living in an alienated place, in a separated place, living in a place of hopelessness, without God and without hope in this world. You don't want to live there. (laughs) You want to come home. You want to come home to be in God's family, to be walking with Christ. That's what you were made for. That's the longing that's in your heart. In every human heart is the longing for home, the longing to belong. And that place of belonging is in and with Christ. So I'd love to pray for all of us this morning. And wherever we are on this scale, that we would come home and we would let God work in our lives. Father, we thank you for this tremendous transformational passage of a formerly and now, of a a change, of a crossing over from darkness to light, from alienation and separation into belonging to Christ. I pray for anyone that's listening today that needs to make that step to come home to Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you have abolished any dividing wall of hostility and enmity between us and God or us and others. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as you've made a way that we would, we would come to you this morning and we would receive the forgiveness that you promise us in the cleansing and the wholeness and we would become one with you and part of your family. I pray if there's anyone listening today that needs to make that decision that they will make it now and say in their hearts, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to you, Jesus Christ. I want to follow you. I want to belong to your family. You can pray that very simply and God will hear you. And for all of us, Lord, those of us who have crossed this line, I pray that this morning we would remember exactly what you've done in our lives, what we were formerly and what we are now. And we know, Lord, that we are not yet what we will be, but we know that what you have started in our lives, you will finish. And I pray that for which you have died, Lord Jesus, and that for which you prayed as you left this earth. I pray, Lord, for the unity of the body of Christ, 